This is Voice in the Wilderness podcast channel. Um, this is a continuation of my original podcast of St. Longinus's Baptism. Um, this is the channel introduction, and I'm going to give a brief description of what to expect when you um, listen to this channel. Before I get started with the prayer, I just want to make it well known that those of you who are familiar with the New Testament will know that St. John the Baptist um was the one who, well, I, I believe he said he, he had come to make straight the paths for the Lord. Um, but somebody had described him as, a, I think it might have been Jesus, actually, who described him as a voice crying out in the wilderness. Um, uh, no, I'm not full of myself. No, I'm not being an egoist. I am not comparing myself to John the Baptist or Elijah or any of the prophets prior to John the Baptist. Uh, I consider myself an average uh, sinful human being, um, an average in all respects. However, the reason I entitled this podcast what I did is because um, St. John the Baptist was trying to, uh, he was prophesying and teaching people to repent and to embrace the kingdom of heaven, and he was preparing the way for Jesus. Anyway, having given that disclaimer, I'm going to go ahead and do the prayer. And... This is the dedication that I always use at the beginning of most of my episodes. All that I am, all that I have, all that I do shall be consecrated to the service, honor, and glory and exaltation of the Immaculate Heart of Mary, the Sacred Heart of Jesus, and the Heavenly Kingdom. In Jesus' name I pray, Immaculate Heart of Mary, please pray for us. Sacred Heart of Jesus, please pray for us. In the name of the Father, Son, Holy Ghost, Amen. So, um, as I said, this, this podcast is a continuation of my original po podcast, which was called St. Longinus' Baptism. It is um, on the um, Google Podcast, um, Amazon Music, and I want to say Spotify um, podcast uh, platforms. I will list... Lord willing, if this if this episode actually if I actually get to keep it, um, I will list my social media 
and where the St. Longinus' baptism can be found. And because um, given the constraints of time right now, um, I'm not all that confident that anyone will stumble upon this before I'm able to get a few more out. I, I plan on doing a few more before uh, next Monday. Um, I just... Uh, I just want to encourage you that if I'm able to get this in the can and, you know, you happen to catch it before I'm able to get any further episodes out, to go ahead and listen, especially, I can't stress this enough, to the, to the podcast introduction episodes of St. Longinus Baptism Channel, because... Um, I try to be consistent and what you hear me talk about in those introductions will help give you a better understanding than I'm going to give in this rather limited introduction I'm giving here. It'll give you a better, it'll give you a better, um, context of my approach, my philosophy, well, my goals and and my personality and you know um the themes the themes um i uh i had a, a friend that i talked to on kind of a regular basis and he kind of gives me his unbiased take on the podcast talking about saint Longinus's baptism and he was telling me, he's like, you know, whenever you do the podcast, we get to talking. We keep circling back to the same, the same things. And I laughed, not because I thought he was being ridiculous or he was saying something stupid, but because he was literally saying God's truth. Because I've listened, um, I want to say to about 85% of the episodes on the St. Longinus podcast. And they do have three themes running throughout. And I credit this to the grace of God because he made it known to me that even, even from the podcast introductions to the last episode I just put in the can over there, that um there are three that there are three themes running throughout the St. Long China's podcast, which is going to carry over into this one. This is why I'm mentioning this. The first theme is going to be the importance of finding God's truth. Meaning there is only one true church on earth that was founded by Jesus Christ and is meant for the world's salvation. Um, as I never get tired of saying, there are not 40,000 40, in two 
different ways to get to heaven. There is one. And, you know, he talks about this in the gospel according to St. Matthew. Um, and when I say 40,002, obviously I'm talking about the 40,000 Protestant sects plus the Vatican II sect plus the Eastern Orthodox Schismatics. Um, the second theme that, um, that runs throughout my podcast is once you have recognized and received the truth, then you must live that truth to, with God's grace to the best of your ability. Once you're confirmed and baptized, you don't get to kick back and drink a lemonade or drink a beer and, you know, play pocket pool. You're, you're to live your faith. And the third theme is, and the most important theme is, once you start practicing your faith, you must try to have as your operating philosophy that to live every day as if you could face Lord Jesus' judgment at any moment. In other words, you must be prepared spiritually to meet your maker every day and not and not be worried what goes on outside of your, uh, if you're married, outside of what goes on in your family life, but to prepare yourself and your family to get to heaven, to be able to get to heaven. Even if it means purgatory, it doesn't matter. You, you need to prepare them for that. And if you're single, same applies to you. Same applies. Now, um, so those, those are the three, three themes that run throughout my podcast. Um, I guess now would be, um, a good time to give a brief overview of a little bit about myself, a little bit about what I believe my guiding principles and um, basically um just if you find what I'm saying of interest, some social media that I've got going, contacts, and some uh, platforms I'm using to try to get out the pre-Vatican Catholic Church message out. Number one, I am a set of a contest. A set of a contest believes that the Vatican II Council was not legitimate 
They do not believe that anything after the Vatican II Council was ratified is legitimate. We believe it's heretical. And we basically practice what we consider the true Catholic faith of the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church. Um, that's as simply as I can put it. Once again, if you happen to stumble upon this before I'm able to get any new episodes out, my um, social media and my um, the pl uh, podcast platforms that carry St. Long Chinus's baptism will be mentioned in not just the show notes, but in the um, podcast description. Which reminds me, I'm probably going to have to say this disclaimer at the beginning of every episode. Which is, check the show notes because I put resources in the show notes for the most part. Not all the time, but for the most part. And definitely check the podcast. If, if, if you're starting right here, right now, check those podcast notes. I've given as much information as I possibly can. But uh, unfortunately... Um, the only place where I can get into autistic detail is my Tumblr account. Um, let me see. Um, oh, shoot. Um, oh, Lord have mercy. I cannot. Damn. Anyhow, um, the so I've given you the themes that are going to carry over into this, and I've given you my social media information. For those of you who like the pre Vatican II Catholic Church aesthetic, I have a Pinterest page that's called Saint Raphael at John Quixote 67. It has a bunch of pins with the sayings of the saints, the um, sacramentals, the saint saying, I, I think I already said that, Catholic scripture, um, uh, images, uh, modern day images, or well, yeah, pretty much modern day images that are pretty traditional in content. And then pre-Vatican II um, images, obviously, um, are, yeah, pre-Vatican pre II content. Um, uh, down um, some... Uh, downloadable and uh, purchasable, purchasable um, Catholic um, stuff that you could put in your house. There's a lot of stuff going on there. On my Tumblr 
blog. I list, or it's called uh, Slave of the Immaculate Heart and the Sacred Heart. I basically, I'm going to cover the same, um, the same material that I covered in Pinterest, but unlike Pinterest, it's going to allow me to go into a little more detail if I feel the need should arise. And anyone who wants to message me, I have a uh, channel on Telegram called St. Longinus uh, Baptism. So, so that's, that's the social media aspects. Thank you, Lord Jesus. I think you helped me to remember. Um... And I just probably forgot again. So I'm just going to launch into what my, my principles are. Number one, my principle is, is um, I mean what I say and say what I mean. I don't, I don't tell others what to do. Um, I just try as best as I can to let my actions speak for themselves. My actions and my words speak for themselves. I try not to, well, actually, uh, as far as I know, I do not comment on things that I do not have at least a working knowledge of. And when I get into my background, you will understand that um, I have a lot of experience. Now, obviously, my experience doesn't carry it over into all aspects of life. And quite frankly, that's another part of my um, principles is I truly, I truly and honestly believe that the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church is the one way to salvation. And therefore, I'm very zealous, not just for myself getting into heaven, but because I'm trying to make amends for my misanthropy toward my fellow human beings in the past, um... I'm doing the best that I can to to give them a chance with through God's grace obviously of getting the same chance that I've received. And looking back at my life, I can honestly say there were times when God literally intervened to get me to go in the right direction because on my own I wouldn't have done it. But I'm very zealous. I'm very zealous for my faith. I'm very zealous for Lord Jesus, the Blessed Mother in the Heavenly Kingdom and the One True Catholic Church. And um, my, my guiding principle since last summer has been... Um, 
nothing else interests me um, at all. To me, everything is a distraction that does not deal with um, serving Lord Jesus and the Blessed Mother to the best of my ability, um, learning my faith to the best of my ability, and practicing what I believe to the best of my ability. So, um, I, I, you know, if, if you're looking for something, you know, a little more, uh, a little less, uh, focused, you know, maybe, maybe a little politics, a little, you know, this or that, I'm not your guy. Um, if you, if you want to know the truth, if you want to get, receive the graces, or I'm sorry, uh, not the graces, um, if you want to research the resources that'll help you get the truth, and actually, I didn't necessarily misspeak, because Becoming a true believer in pre-Vatican II Catholicism, otherwise known as um, Sedevacantism, it is a grace. And one of the things I've taken Sedevacantists to task for is it seems like to me on social media, a lot of them seem to take this blessing for granted, not realizing that they were blessed to be where they're at. And we should never take our blessings for granted. And we should always be grateful for our blessings as best as we are able. But I'm, I'm very zealous. And um, like I said, um, I like to let my actions and my words speak for themselves. And I am, one of my principles is, is I try to be consistent. One of the truths of the Catholic Church, it's the same in 60 AD as it is in 1400 AD, as it is in 1800 AD, as it is in 1950 AD. That we must be consistent in our beliefs and our actions. I try to practice that consistency. Now, for a, a very brief introduction into my background, I was born in the late 60s. I joined the U.S. Army in the mid-80s. I served in West Germany um, from 1987 to 1989, but I'd done my basic and I, I, I served three years. But I was stationed over in West Germany. And um, that's back when there was a Cold War. For you guys who may not be familiar with history, uh, Google the Cold War. Um, as, as for my religious state, a lot of my guardians took me to whatever Protestant churches they attended. But 
uh, they just took me on Sundays and as far as teaching me anything about Protestantism, they, you know, they pretty much left me to my own devices and honestly, I wasn't interested. And that turned out to be a, uh, a, a great blessing to me because a lot of, let's just say you're a Protestant of whatever denomination, Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, or whatever. And this is what your family has believed for going back for five generations or so, or even three. This is what your parents have taught you. This is where the church that you know, um, making the leap from Protestantism to pre-Vatican II Catholicism is a pretty big stretch because it's, it's going to contradict everything that you've ever been taught or everything you ever thought you knew about Christianity. And the same thing goes for the Vatican II sect. Now, the reason I refer to the Vatican II sect as a sect, <coughs> the reason why Sedvacantis considered the Vatican II um, council heretical, if you read the church documents, if you read the history of the council, you will realize that a lot of, of the teachings in the documents are very thinly veiled Protestant theology. And as a matter of fact, this is a verifiable fact. Um, there were Protestant um, theologians who advised the Vatican II Council on the writing of the Vatican II Council documents. I, I cover this in my St. Longinus Baptism podcast channel. So, what I, how, the best way I can describe the Catholic Church after the Vatican II Council is a Protestant sect masquerading as the one true Catholic Church. You know, they've got their, their um, imposter pope, they have their imposter bishops, and they're occupying the buildings that were once the one true Catholic Church, but they have as much to do with true Catholicism as I do with... Um, Protestantism on any level. So, I did not grow up, and like I said, it was a blessing because if you're carrying around the baggage of being taught one thing and having to relearn everything you thought you knew, most people are not equipped to deal with that. It takes a special kind of person who's especially devoted to the truth, who wants to worship the Lord Jesus, His Blessed Mother in the Heavenly Kingdom in spirit and in truth. 
that they're not going to allow anything to get in their way of that. And I know it's easy nowadays, a lot of people call you a fanatic for that. I've been called worse, quite frankly, and I wear the word fanatic as a badge of honor. Um, but anyway, so I, I had in, I want to say 1998 or 1999, what the Protestants would call a come to Jesus moment or what, uh, one of my favorite set of, set of contest podcasters call a road to Damascus moment, but I did not start out after this. It took me a couple of years. And the reason it did was, I ain't going to lie, I realized if I did the baptism, I was going to have to walk the walk, and I was unwilling to do that. I was absolutely unwilling to do that, because quite frankly, um, I liked my sins. I did not want to give them up. And... Even though my, my outlook had changed, I liked my sins too much to give them up. And just as a further uh, background, my religious attitude prior to becoming a Protestant was deism. Uh, the concept of deism is is uh, God makes everything, he winds it up, and then he walks away. He, he walks away. He's the absentee God. Um, what you do on earth doesn't matter, and how you live your life doesn't matter, or what you believe. He just winds it up and lets it go. Now, deism is a Masonic concept. It is a Masonic concept. And a lot of uh, Americans, even if they are Protestant, are probably deist in outlook and don't even know it. But deism is um, a heresy. And all it does is take the blessing of a little common sense to understand this concept. Because if deism was correct and God winds up the world and lets it go, then everything that's in the Bible, Protestant or Catholic, and there is a difference between the two Bibles, but I'm that that's not the purpose right now. Um, everything in that Bible is being contradicted. Because God, if you read the Bible and you take it as God's literal truth, there are multiple examples in the Old and New Testament where God literally intervened. And not just not just in Israel and Judea and, and um, the Palestine of the time of Jesus, but in individuals' lives. 
So, um, and it fosters the error of treating God and the devil as abstractions, of treating heaven and hell as an abstraction, which a lot of people do. Um, this error, particular error of Protestantism was around when I was a Protestant, but it's gained traction in the past 10 years. Once saved, always saved. And it's a very easy error to fall into because the way they teach it is you say a prayer and that's it. You don't have to do nothing to show your devotion to Jesus. You don't have to change your life. You can continue on as you were and you're saved. As long as you ask Jesus to, to let you into the kingdom of heaven. Now, because this is a particular Protestant heir, that, that particular heir takes on, because Protestantism is a very individualistic and atomized uh, theology, you're, you could go to every Protestant that you know and ask them, you know, well, what about deism? What about um, once saved, always saved? And you get a different answer. Because it's not objective, it's subjective. That's why it's not the truth. But I'm kind of straying into my background, uh, outside of my background. So in 2001, um, due to a series of events, I, I came to the realization that I couldn't put God off forever and it was time to take the plunge. And because I knew nothing, when I joined the Protestant church, as far as I was concerned, um, Protestants, Catholics, and Eastern Orthodox were all, you know, it was a generalized Christianity. It was generalized. So if you claim Jesus Christ was God, you were a Christian. Now, that was totally due out of ignorance. But this is back in 2001. And it's getting late. Um, so I started, you know, because I wanted to be a good follower of Jesus Christ, I started reading up about the theologies and the history of Christianity and of the Protestant revolt and started talking to other Protestants and I realized Protestantism is not a tenable theology. Theologically, it's unlogical and it's subjective um, on a common sense level. It's not it's 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 not logical it's subjective and at a historical level um it's untrue it, it not only defies um it defies history it 
literally tries to rewrite history. But I realized that Protestantism was not the truth. And so in 2004, I entered into the, uh, as a catechumen into the Vatican II sect. And uh, their, their catechism classes are called Rite of Christian Initiation, or ISCA. And when I went through those classes, because I entered it and I was real skeptical because my, my understanding was, was the Catholic Church was the first church, but my understanding was they had been corrupt and it needed the Protestant quote-unquote reformers to bring it back to its truth. So I was skeptical when I entered into it. But as I went through the catechism class and I started reading Catholic materials, I realized, this is the grace of God, by the way, that the Catholic, pre-Vatican II, mind you, pre-Vatican II church was the truth. Now, at the time, I didn't realize the heresy of Vatican II. So when I joined that church, I thought it was the one true Catholic church, which, honestly speaking, probably 99.2% of the population of the world are under that air. And I was taught that by a Vatican II priest, no less, that Catholic truth cannot change. By the way, this is not something that most Vatican II priests or prelates will tell you. But I've been blessed to have some really good spiritual leaders in my life. And that's what he taught me. So when I joined in 2004, and I attended up to 2016, I'm looking at the heresies, the blasphemies, and the sacrileges that were being committed on a daily basis in the Vatican II sect. And I couldn't, I couldn't uh, square the circle because right in front of my eyes, they're committing, according to pre-Vatican II teachings, committing blasphemies, heresies, and sacrileges. And this, this was contradicting, obviously, the teachings prior to Vatican II. And when I would get online debates with the Vatican II sect members, they would say something like, well, it's the spirit of Vatican II. It's the spirit. You ask any Vatican II sect, what is the spirit of Vatican II? Vatican II? They can't tell you. But the spirit is actually heresy and rebellion against the true Catholic Church. That's what the spirit is. Or as some set of accountists would say, it's the, the spirit of Vatican II is modernism. So... In 2016, 
I decided, okay, it's time to get out. And I was on Twitter at the time, and I was subscribed to a lot of Catholics. And some of the Catholics I was following, I didn't even know they were several contests. I didn't even know what that meant. So they start, you know, they start telling me about it. And I, I really appreciate their patience because I was asking some pretty stupid questions. Now, for a set of a contest, they would have been stupid questions. But as far as the Vatican II sect members, this is not me being full of myself or egoism. As far as a Vatican II sect member goes, I would be considered by most people, not obviously theologian well-informed, but for a layman, yeah, pretty well-informed about the Catholic Church. And this started around 2018. And then in 2021, I decided, I, between 2018 and 2021, I was doing the research. Not just on Sedvacantism, but pre-Vatican II Catholic Church. And everything fell into place. I realized this had been the truth I'd been searching for all my life and didn't even realize it. And so in 2021, I um, entered into a set of a contest organization and I have recently been baptized. Now, as a personal aside, um, I've had set of a contest tell me, well, you know, people don't, People, you're just a catechumen. What do you know? And that used to, I ain't going to lie, that used to get my hackles up. Because I'm thinking to myself, well, that's a rash judgment because you don't know me personally. You only know me by my online persona. And if I haven't made this clear yet, I'm going to make it clear right now. My social media, my social media and my attitude in general, it, this is not about me. This is not about me. This is about serving Jesus Christ, his blessed mother and the heavenly kingdom and the one true Catholic church and trying to submerge my will with divine providence and the Holy Ghost. As St. John the Baptist is recorded as saying, I must decrease so he must increase. So this, there's a reason if you listen to the St. Longinus' baptism episodes, and there's 140 of them, by the way. Um, I, I will make purpose personal references occasionally, but for the most part, I stick to the topic. And it used to make me mad until God gave me the grace to understand that these people are speaking out of ignorance. And I've done that myself. That's another thing too. Probably a disclaimer that I'm going to have to make for every episode is that 
everything I talk about in all my episodes, and the disclaimers are all in St. Longinus's baptism, everything that I talk about, I've either been guilty of in the past or presently guilty of right now, but I'm working on it. And I've definitely been guilty of rash judgment and um, just... Uh, um, making making false assumptions based on faulty premises. Now, having said this, the traditional uh, the the uh, Catholic Church prior to Vatican II does teach that we cannot we cannot make a judgment on a person, the state of their soul or the state of their mind. But it also teaches we can make a judgment based on a person's actions and words. And a lot of younger types get that twisted, and I understand why, because the younger generations have been taught from their mother's milk, oh, it's not right to judge, you know, if, if you have an opinion on anything, oh, that's a judgment. You're wrong. No, you make a judgment every day. I'm not going to get into that whole thing, though. So, um, if you're tempted to dismiss me as an ill-educated oaf, you're more than welcome to do that. Um... And I'm mainly talking to set of contest here. Just remember my timeline. I've been reading about all aspects of church history since 2001. I've studied Protestant teaching. Uh, I'll just say theology. I've studied Protestant theology. I've also studied the heirs and the heresies of Vatican II. And in addition to that, um, obviously, you know, I haven't done all the reading, but with uh, pre-Vatican II Catholic Church, you could live 10 lifetimes and only scratch the surface of everything. It's that deep and it's that rich. But, um... I'm, I'm not as ignorant as I would appear when it comes to the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church. And because we're all individuals, um, that's, that's another principle I have. God deals with us as individuals. He made us as individuals. He deals with us as individuals. Our goal is as if we're trying to be devout and um, pious Catholics, our, our, our main mission is not to try to figure out what God's will, um, why something is happening. Our, our mission is to try to do what we think that his will is to the best of our abilities. And try to make sure that we are able to recognize blessings and graces and make ourselves open to those as we possibly can.
Um, so, I'm, I'm not claiming to be the font of all knowledge. This is something else that I need to get clear. I do not... And the, the proof is in the pudding. I've got 140 episodes on St. Longinus's baptism. And one thing that anybody who's been in contact with me, who's been listening to my podcast, uh, will tell you, I am not inconsistent. I am absolutely not inconsistent. Everything that I'm going to say on this new podcast I've repeated ad nauseum on St. Longinus' baptism, which is, I'm not a saint and I'm not a prophet. I am a sinful, flawed uh, human being who is doing what I believe to be the will of God to the best of my ability with the with the things that I have been given to me. So I'm not claiming, um, you know, if, if, uh, if something is uh, a matter of theory, I will state flat out, I'm not infallibly certain this is the case, but this is my theory. And once again, you have to take that for what it's worth. I know there's a lot of grifters and you know um, that that are trying to fool and mislead people, and I I wouldn't blame you for being suspicious. What I'm saying is is that um, in, if I'm not a hundred percent certain about what I'm talking about, I will preface what I'm saying by I'm not. I'm not infallibly certain, but this is my theory. You take it for what it's worth. That's another thing. I'm going to say you take it for what it's worth because in present era, there's a lot of, uh, of, of grifters and charlatans out there who, who, who try to make a living off of playing off people's ignorance. Um, hopefully, I can build a rapport with my audience that they'll know that I'm consistent in what I say and what I do. Um, having said this, I don't speak on things that I don't have a working knowledge of. And I had this principle long before I even thought about becoming a follower of Jesus Christ. Um, if, if somebody was discussing something that I did not have a working knowledge of, I flat out said, um, hey, you know, I'm not really conversant in this, so I'll just shut up and let you talk. Same principle. Everything that's covered in my podcast, I have a conversant knowledge of. And I list my resources in the show notes. Please, for the love of all that is holy, check the show notes for resources. Most of the time, they're going to be there. And 
This one's actually gone a little longer than my last attempts, but I think this is a good thing because it appears, if I can get this to work, that I'm covering everything that I wanted to cover. So, definition of terms. When I talk about set of Acontis, I will use either the term true Catholic, serious Catholic, or set of Acontis interchangeably. When I use those terms, I'm basically talking about anyone who believes in the pre-Vatican II Catholic Church and believes that Vatican II was a heretical council. If I use the term neo, basically what I'm saying is, you know, and you can apply it to anything. In the political realm, there are neo, um, I think they call themselves neo-reactionaries. There's neo-conservatives. Um, I call um, the Vatican II sect members neo-Catholics and their traditional arm neo-traditionalists. When I use the term neo in front of anything, I'm basically saying um, that they... Um, I, I, I got to make this distinction for the, the, the average, like neo-traditionalist or neo-Catholic in the pews. I, I give them the benefit of the doubt. They're acting under ignorance, but they're not practicing true Catholicism. Therefore I say neo. However, when it comes to the apologist, of the Vatican II sect, when I use the, the term neo-Catholic or neo-traditionalist, um, neo I am literally saying that they are grifters. They are grifters and they are LARPers. For those of you who don't understand the term LARPer, um, it's, it's an acronym for live-action role-playing. So... When somebody gets called a LARPer, what it basically means is, is they're pretending to be something that they are not. And in case I haven't made this clear, oh, I think I did, about the Protestant preachers who rant and rail about the, the Catholic Church being the whore of Babylon and don't realize the church that they're railing in, railing against is actually closer to them theologically than they know. But in their pride, hubris, and ego, and ignorance, they don't realize that they have, the, that, the, that the, the church that they're criticizing is the whore of Babylon. They're, they're actually right for, for the wrong reasons, but... They have more in common with those guys than they do with set of a contest. And if they knew that and they recognized that fact, they would turn their fire on us and make common cause 
with the Vatican II sect as other Protestants have. Okay, so I think that's pretty much it for the terms. And I'm coming up on an hour. And if I haven't already mentioned this, there's a couple of uh, there's a couple of platforms that I'm using that are only giving me an hour long. Um, well, I'm sorry, they give me five hours max recording time. So if I want to get as many um, episodes out as possible, I got to keep them to around an hour. And then after I reach the five-hour max, if I want to continue to use that platform, I got to pay the monthly service. So there's that. So I'm going to close with this. As I said before, um, my tagline is, take this for what it's worth. If you gave me almost an hour of your time and you disagree with me, you, you think I'm a rat and railing loon or whatever, or you, you know, you just think I've, I'm wrong. You've given me almost an hour of your time. I can't ask for much more than that. And quite frankly, I'm grateful that you gave me an honest chance. Um, I care about all of you as best as a flawed, failed individual can. A human being, I should say. Sinful human being can. But like everybody else, I have my own failings and drawbacks. I do care. And I do would like to see as many people get to heaven as possible. But you've got to cooperate with God's grace to get there. And I hope and I pray sincerely that you get something out of this episode. I, quite frankly, all my episodes. So, thank you for listening. God bless you. Have a good day. Bye-bye.